Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on how Amgen is rising above the clinical trial diversity from the 2022 Patients as Partners in Clinical Research Summit. For more information about the Patients as Partners in Clinical Research Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit patientsaspartners.org. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. So I'm Hassan Kadam. I'm not from Amgen. I'm from Bristol Myers Squibb. Uh, and I'm here to uh, moderate this uh, hopefully fabulous fireside chat with uh, my two esteemed colleagues here from Amgen. Um, just a quick intro on, on myself and uh, on the topic, and then I'll ask uh, our panelists to introduce themselves. Uh, so I lead a group at BMS called Clinical Trial Business Capabilities. Uh, we are involved mostly in uh, owning the business strategy for clinical trial technologies across the entire clinical trial journey. Uh, so we cover uh, from patient diagnosis, patient engagement, all the way to generating the clinical study report, and really all the different uh, stations in between that patients and sites and, and, of course, sponsor engage in through the conduct of clinical trials. The topic of clinical trial diversity is a very important one, and without a doubt, over the past few years, and mainly exacerbated by the pandemic, there's been uh, extra attention and awareness on health inequities and the importance of uh, working on that. And certainly the pharmaceutical industry has taken uh, an extra uh, attention to that as well, and we've seen clinical trial diversity as a discipline increase in importance in different clinical operation groups. And I think today we're going to hear more about how Amgen uh, developed their own program called RISE to work on clinical trial diversity. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, my esteemed panelists, Panda Motsepe Ditsejo from Amgen, who uh, is a global medical therapeutic area head in general medicine and a global chair of Amgen Black Employee Network and Jude Gang, who is an executive director of rep representation in clinical research. So, Panda, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure, thank you. Um, so, good afternoon, good day, everybody. Um, it's a real, real pleasure to be here. This is certainly Amgen's first time um, attending um, the session today, and uh, it's really lovely to be listening and to have heard all of the like-mindedness from my colleagues and peers in terms of addressing this very, very important topic. Um, I have been with Amgen for 10 years, but I've been in industry for 20. Um, I am originally from South Africa. That's where I started my journey with Amgen. And um, I have worked in the South African affiliate with Amgen, then moved over to the Canadian affiliate, um, where I eventually headed up the team. And um, I'm now here in the US based in Thousand Oaks where I'm the VP for medical affairs, which means I look after our entire portfolio that's non-oncology. But I also wear a couple of important hats, um, hats that are very dear to me, which is one leading this team called RISE, and you'll hear a little bit more about how we came to be. Um, and I'm also the global chair for our Abe and Black Employee Network, which is one of our um, 12 ERGs, employee resource groups. So really, really happy to be here and looking forward to sharing some of our insights um, of how we are rising with clinical trial diversity at Amgen. So Jude, over to you. Great. Thank you, Ponda. 
Good afternoon, everyone. As uh, I think it's really a pleasure. I really want to thank uh, the patients as partners for organizing this. Uh, I won't repeat Ponder's words, how inspiring it has been, but I would just say and add that uh, Ponder happens to be my manager, and thanks to patients as partners, I've spent over close to 24 hours traveling, so I got more time to, to talk with my manager than I ever had in the office. <laughs> He's not in trouble, don't worry. <laughs> I'm on the performance review. But anyway, <laughs> jokes, jokes aside, I think uh, I've been with Amgen uh, six years now, and it's been an incredible journey. Uh, uh, prior to Amgen, uh, or prior to industry, I was a pharmacist by training, and uh, my interest in this work about diversity in trials was, was identified when I was a student pharmacist at the time, and when I noticed uh, uh, just observed uh, the differences of my patients, patients of African descent. Uh, they were really not doing the same with others and just looking further into it curiously, the an aha moment happened when I noticed that the clinical trials were not really diverse and uh, I switched course in my career and went on to uh, uh, learn to take additional training clinical sciences, clinical uh, trial design and execution with that uh, uh, focus on, on, on uh, diversity in trials. So coming to Amgen and, and doing this, which is a passion, it was a, a nighttime and weekend thing we do now full time. I pinch myself every now and then if it's real. So really looking forward to sharing with you today the work, the journey that we've been through and, and we've learned so much and we want to share so we can continue doing this because we truly believe that the whole industry needs to come together. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jude. <clears throat> and thank you, Ponda. So let's start by uh, getting deeper into what RISE is. Can you share with us some of the um, uh, impetus that got to the development of RISE and what it took to get it off the ground. Sure, I'll kick us off. So, first of all, um, at Amgen, our mission is to serve patients. And by that, we mean all patients. So, the work that we decided to dedicate our time and commitment to do is really, really important because it's important for us to ensure that we are producing medicines for all patients right, and medicines for patients that are impacted by particular diseases um, and to ensure that they get them. Um, so when I, when I answer the question, and I get asked this quite a bit, it's actually a really lovely story to share about RISE. And I say that it's lovely because there's three powerful components. Um, one is the impact and the importance of the most senior, senior members and leaders in our organizations to be fully behind us. That's what we had. The second one is how we were able to get a group of like-minded, talented individuals with a real passion for the subject, for the subject matter, to get together from a grassroots perspective and create what you now see as a dedicated team. And then the third thing is just the very, very importance of ensuring that whatever we do, we always have a patient at the end of the, at the, end of the day in our minds, irrespective of where that patient is. So that's kind of what drove where um, we are today. So I'll delve a little bit deeper into um, the latter, actually. Um, so one of the things that happened, and Jude alluded, this, alluded to this, we started this work as far back as 2016, 
And it was under the umbrella of ABIN, which is another key message here, the power of ERGs. ERGs can play a very, very big role and have a huge business impact. So this work started with Jude and a couple of other colleagues before I moved to the US. Um, and working on this after hours, and eventually this turned into, they created a white paper and described really how they feel we can be improving um, diversity across our clinical trial programs at Amgen. Um, today we have a dedicated team. The other thing that was extremely vital was our CEO staff, our CEO Bob Bradway, our head of research and EVP for medical, Dr. Dave Reese, they were very clear that this is mission critical work to the point where, sure, the pandemic happened, sure, we saw some of the political unrest, George Floyd, but that just heightened it. That heightened the fact that, yeah, let's have a dedicated effort. We know we were doing this as far back as 2016. So having that sponsorship spine was extremely crucial and it didn't take any convincing for them to make sure that we have a dedicated team, which started with three people, myself, Jude, and Raquel, and now I think we're about six, six, eight people who are supporting it in some way or another. So for me, those are the big three key, key learnings. Um, what we've got to date is we have six key pillars, I won't go through all of them, that we really are, um, have set our strategic objectives against, but I'll highlight some of them and then Jude can go into some more details around examples of how we've worked with, how we've collaborated internally and how we've collaborated externally. So one of the things that we obviously want to focus about, and I've heard some of our colleagues speak about this today, is really evolve the way we look at our clinical trial designs and how we run our clinical trials. The previous session we talked about you know, patient centricity, having that patient voice very early on. Well, that's what we're doing, and that's what we plan to do in terms of moving the needle forward. The other thing we want to do is ensure that the clinical sites that we choose and the investigators that we choose are in the communities. You know, We have to get to a point where we stop expecting patients to come to us and for us to actually take the, the, the studies to the communities. But we need to be able to empower those investigators in, in, in those communities. So we're working very closely with that. The other key thing is, and I've heard others speak about this today, is listening. The humility, the hum being humble enough to listen and understand what the communities are saying to us. So we're putting all of that into our strategies as we think about how we're really gonna operationalize this with clear, clear examples. I think this discussion has been on the table for a long time. For as long as I've been in medical school, like back in South Africa, we've always spoken about diversity and why isn't there diversity in our clinical trials? Why are there these disparities? But I think the time has come now for all of us to really, really start putting our paper to pen, pen to paper and coming up with specific examples of how we're going to make it happen. And then the last piece I'll touch on um, of the six pillars is the work that we're also focusing on, precision medicine and translational science. It's very, very important. We do not have enough diversity when it comes to our genomic work. And um, this is something that we want to tackle as well in, in, as part of our strategy. So I'll hand it back to you. Thank you, Pana. Very impressive, the commitment that uh, Amgen's putting in that. Um, and as, as we all know, making change in clinical trials and within a pharma company is not 
very easy. So the next question is for you, Jude. I know you, come, you came from clinical operations. Uh, my question is, how did you work with internal global development operations to drive that change to help better diversify uh, investigator selection uh, and those that collaborate in the uh, communities? Thank you, Hassan. I think uh, collaboration is key, of course, but uh, I'll first start by saying that in prior sessions there was a question from a patient uh, saying that they've heard this rhetoric over and over for 10 years. And I just want to say at Amgen, we've also heard it and we were tired of it. So it's time for action. We've already started action. And uh, I just want to assure you that uh, we, at Amgen, we're not there to just talk, but really to take action and not in the business of making noise. But understanding that the clinical trial is really uh, highly regulated, interdependent, with multiple cross-functional interdependencies, we need that internal cross-functional co-creation of, of everything that we're doing. And some of our Amgen colleagues as well is in the house, uh, uh, Tracy here, who we collaborate with from, from RISE team. Uh, so, but what we do is we developed, uh, what we did was we developed a, a cross-functional framework enterprise-wide to strengthen the focus on, on diversity in clinical trials, really redoing all our processes and coming up with new ways. And the key component of that, uh, which we can, it resonates with what I've been hearing as well, is, is starting that, looking at this right at the beginning of the concept discussion. Uh, before you even have a summary of a protocol, before you even have a protocol, you start really early. If we could put a timeline to it, I could say, putting back my clinical operations had 18 to 24 months before you expect to enroll the first patient. That's when you start looking into this. So, 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 but then with that, when we came up with these new approaches, we had to work with this, with our cross-functional teams, and they sat with us. We shared, somebody also mentioned a comment here about time, I think it was Rosalind, where teams would say it would take time, but if you don't put that time early, you will lose the time again at the end. So sharing all these insights garnered internal attention. And what happened then is that we had that collaboration to develop this framework where we all, including most importantly, compliance as well, because we're bringing in newer things. When you go that early, you identify what are the challenges or burdens that you need to address. You would have to bring in some measures that the organization is not used to. You have to go to some sites, some clinical sites, clinical trial naive sites, where you want to go where the investigators, where the patients are. So then you have to start putting all these measures in place to ensure that the, the other risk or potential risk are addressed so that the internal teams, clinical operation teams are comfortable to, to now go where the patients truly are. And, and then next is that we went forward uh, with real action uh, I can, I'm pleased to say that uh, from 2020 to today, we've submitted multiple FDA diversity plans in multiple studies proactively, where in those diversity plans, cross-functionally, we did outline what are the measures that we need to take to reach certain enrollment goals that we set in those plans, and what are the measures to also uh, monitor progress and as we're monitoring progress, if we're not doing right, what do we do to try to mitigate, to stay on course? So it's really uh, refreshing to report that towards our five-year objectives, we are on track with our 2022 goals. We have yearly goals, and we hope that in five years, 
we will be actually sharing more so the best practices. And to close my response is to say we are using a methodic approach where uh, we're learning what works. If something doesn't work, we would learn from that, but we're courageous and bold enough to at least do something. Great, That's, um, it's, it's good to see that journey uh, of uh, influencing our clinical operations uh, folks. Maybe another question for you, Jude. The other side of collaboration to make clinical trial diversity successful is to reach out to community leaders. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about how you have created these collaborations in the community to help remove some of these barriers to clinical trial participation? How leveraging the help of community leaders have helped in that regard? Thank you, Hassan. I think it's important to note, of course, that we can only do so much as Amgen or as industry. We need partners, we need collaborators uh, out there as well. And it's also important to work with uh, entities that already have trusted relationships where we can work through that. Uh, the patients don't know us, so we really have to uh, partner. So with that, I think I can share uh, a few uh, tan uh, sort of concrete examples. Ponda mentioned the journey of RISE and the support from our senior leaders. It was a very proud moment for me and my colleagues when Amgen was the founding sponsor of uh, what we call Lazarex Cancer Foundation, Project Impact, which is improving patient access to clinical trial. And, and that was an, a very bold step back then when this wasn't even a, you know, a hot topic as today. And that Project Impact, we were doing that at that time to test and learn and generate evidence that uh, these measures would do bring diversity. And the first readout of that uh, project did uh, uh, result in about 62% uh, of participants were, were individuals who self-reported as being from underrepresented groups in the US. And there were additional social measures in that project that also showed that about 52% uh, were individuals from households making less than 25,000 US dollars. So we, we were able to really spread access to, to the clinical trials for, for these patients. So, Project Impact now, we've gone further uh, uh, to go further and deeper into the community. Initially, it started with a few uh, institutions like MGH, UCSF, University of Southern California, but now we're extending further into the community where we're working with community health workers and they're what they call uh, care ambassadors who are individuals who work within the hospitals and working with the community leaders to bring in opportunities to clinical trials, but also before even bringing those, first addressing the needs within the community. Now, the, even where we are here in Philadelphia, a few blocks down, there's also uh, the next phase of impact already going on in collaboration with Drexel University. This one has a brick and mortar space where it's within the community where uh, people can just come in and go out and you engage them that. So through that, we're having these, these uh, mechanisms. But one last key aspect of Lazarex impact is US oncology network going into the community where we launched it recently as well to give all this access. And the key point as well, regardless of giving the access, but bringing in navigation services as well. So when they identify a potential candidate for a trial, there is someone with that, that individual all the way through that patient's journey through the clinical trial process. So with that collaboration, we think that we're seeing 
phenomenal resource that we can expand further. And last comment to close that is that we're not doing this only for Amgen clinical trials. We're doing this at these institutions. It's open for any clinical trial that's been run at that institution just to help to open that ecosystem. If it benefits our trials, then it's a win-win for us as well. Thank you, Jude. So I heard the five-minute bell. Um, maybe I'll ask one more question and then we'll open it up for the audience for their questions. Um, there's many in the audience that come from other pharmaceutical companies. Um, so if any of you can share key learnings uh, or examples to help others adapt their own clinical, drive, uh, clinical trial diversity programs um, to increase diversity and community involvement in clinical trials. Yeah, sure. Maybe let me start and then Jude, you can chime in. I think, you know, this is not a marathon. Um, this is certainly a journey that we're on. I think there's obviously um, has been more recent focus and need to speed up the journey, but no one company can do it alone. If we, let me just share some stats with you. I think 50% of clinical trials um, that are conducted are mainly industry sponsored. 75% of that funding comes from us. So we have to do it together as a village. Um, it doesn't take one company it takes all of us to work together. And I know earlier on there was a question around, but how exactly do we work together? We've got to find a way. You know, there are platforms, there are industry bodies, there's pharma, there's bio, there's Transcelerate, whichever one, I'm just calling the ones that are top of mind. But I do think it's upon us to really work together. And we have done that. We have been part of pharma from the beginning, and you guys wouldn't have known the, the guidelines were celebrating one year now of being published. Our chief medical officer, Dr. Um, Daryl Sleep, was a, had a very strong voice and seat at the table in, in drafting and finalizing of those guidelines. So that's a key learning. Um, the other thing is I cannot underscore the importance of that sponsorship spine from your most senior members of the organization, from our CEO staff to our, sorry, our CEO to our um, head of R&D, our chief medical officer. We really, really had them behind us. You know, as I, as I mentioned, Dave Reese calls it mission critical work, and we need to have laser focus, and this is why we've created this dedicated team. Um, and then the last thing I will say is, you know, we do have to continue to listen to these communities and walk in with a sense of humanity, uh, being humble and listening, you know, not just driving our agenda. And we have already started doing that. We've conducted a couple of community advisory boards. We're listening and taking those insights to create community engagement plans. So I'll stop there, but again, the last thing I will say is that it certainly does take a village, and I heard one of my colleagues say that earlier on, and it's one of my favorite sayings, is that it does take a village. And you? I think my last comment would be, I think, Potter, you mentioned it, the genomic uh, translation of science. I think we're in the, if you're in the business of clinical trials, of course, it takes a while before the drugs make it into uh, the access to the general public. So there are really current advancements now in, 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 in research, uh, genomic research. We are, we are at the heels of the human genome or the genome-wide associate studies absolutely no representation. And we're now using these insights to bring in additional tech tools like machine learning, AI, to develop the next generation of therapies. My samples from people like me are not included in that data. So as an industry, we need to really take concerted effort to ensure that we bring all other patients into this process because this gap 
would actually widen in the next generation of therapies that are coming. So that's my own call to action to us and our industry peers. Thank you. So we heard another bell, but let's, let's open it up for the audience for questions. I see someone at the podium already. So first, I want to thank you for this insightful conversation, and it's good to see you in person, Jude. We've been on a couple of calls together. So my name is Ebony Scott. I'm from Lupus Research Alliance and Lupus Therapeutics. I'm the Director of Health Equity. And you spoke about the importance of uh, EWG groups or affinity groups and really, you know, meeting after work hours or the weekends to really get this work off the ground. Um, and I would ask if you can speak to some of the challenges in doing that. A lot of times people of color within um, our you know, groups are tasked with the charge of leading this initiative and that a lot of times that leads to burnout because not only are we trying to promote equity and diversity um, externally, we could be faced with microaggressions or different types of things that are happening internally when there are organizations that are not ready to take that change. So can you speak to some of the challenges you may have faced and what are the, some of the support mechanisms you put in place at Amgen for your employees if they were to face burnout or any other um, issues that come along with this work? Thanks, that's an excellent question. Thank you so much for asking it. So uh, let, me, let me talk about the RISE example. I think with, so the work that the, the teams were doing at ABEN, as we know, ERGs are voluntary work, right? Um, we had people who were very passionate, who knew what needed to be done, and the biggest challenge was getting things off the ground. To your point, people have you know, other roles to do. Um, not everybody has the same level of maybe uh, passion or availability to get things off the ground. So there was a little bit of a struggle with that. I think what helped us pivot was some of the um, environmental things that were happening. I think COVID really made us aware that, okay, these disparities are really glaring in front of us. We've got to do something, and we have some work that's been done already. Um, the other way, the other solution that we had was literally knocking at the door of our CEO staff and saying, this is mission critical. We have to do this now. We need to move faster now. Um, so that's how we were able to overcome some of those challenges. But I do recognize that, and, and this is why in, in, in my introductory remarks when I said that what are the key big things for me, it was you've got to have the right talent. People, passion is not enough. You know, you've got to have people who are passionate but who are actually willing to roll up their sleeves and, and move the needle and get things done. Um, you've got to have that sponsorship spine from your senior leadership. Um, and, and that's where we have been able to overcome the challenges that we sometimes see in ERGs, even with other work. I think if I can may add to that is from a cross-functional day-to-day interaction, the, it's challenging, but we look at this, always try to tie it to the human side. I think Ponda mentioned at the end of the day, we, are, we have the patients at mind. So taking uh, our approach is taking sometimes one to two minutes before you start the meeting to just realign everyone why this is important and, and then try to meet them as well where they are also listening. We also listen and, and try to understand what concerns are of our peers. But uh, one, one approach we also do is try to show that uh, what is the, uh, the benefit as well, especially I use the example for our clinical operations team. 
uh, because I would show or try to show hypothetically that uh, these measures when taken, you would actually gain access or, or there will be access to other patients that you might not otherwise have, so you could potentially actually enroll faster. That gets everyone's attention. Then we can now sit on the table and co-create. So it's really refreshing to, to report that uh, there is actually, we're finding that we need to hire a lot more people to support the teams. But the last comment also is that, uh, which it actually resonates with the discussions here, we're bringing in newer capabilities, and someone made a comment about there is a 30-year sort of mindset of how to do things. So when you bring in these new capabilities, we're also being mindful of trying to give the teams the capacity to use these capabilities and not just dump the capabilities and walk away. It will be easy to return to business as usual. So being with them lock and step sort of helps us really see where we're really seeing a lot of momentum towards those, those goals. Great question, Ebony, a pleasure seeing you. Great. Do we have time for maybe one more question? No? Okay. All right. Well, Ponda and Jude, thank you for your very insightful thank you. presentation. Thank you. Thanks, We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Patients as Partners Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit patientsaspartners.org. Thank you.